hello, hello, and welcome back to Girl We Gotta Talk. I'm your host, Elena Jakes. Welcome back to another episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. It's a good one. It's a long one. We had such a great time talking. I had Kara Reitz on the podcast, who I don't even know how to explain her because she does everything. She's an actor. She's a model. She is an author, a podcast host. Um, she does it all like she's amazing and we talked so much about the behind the scenes part of modeling and acting and what that industry looks like in the entertainment space um, how she kind of grew up as someone that was like I want to be on Disney Channel I want to do it and she just I mean she was so determined as a young girl and I think that just really pushed her through her entire upbringing and she was just so motivated and she's incredible and so she talked a lot about that experience and then how you know a lot of that industry has really affected um her body image and disordered eating but also um the diagnosis that she got Hashimoto which really slowed her metabolism down um, and so how that also played a role in her body image so we talked a lot about that and how she navigated that time um, and like her relationship with food and working out and um, also while trying to get jobs and so it was a, it was really really interesting to hear her um, experiences and she was so vulnerable and open opening up with that it was such a good conversation and I'm so grateful that she wanted to come on this podcast and just talk about it because I think that's the most important thing with all of this is like if you're going through something like this it's so important to talk about it and um, I think there are so many other people out there that are going through similar experiences as you you just don't know because you're not talking about it and so hopefully if you are going through something similar this conversation helped you today because I don't think that you should be alone in that experience. So I was so grateful for her to open up and be vulnerable on the podcast. I mean, she really, she talks a lot about her diagnosis and how that really affected her, but also just the behind the scenes of everything and like what this industry actually looks like and how that led her into starting her own podcast, The Art of Wellness Society. So she really was thrusted into okay, look, I have to take charge of my life. I have to figure out what is best for me and my body specifically. And we just had such a good conversation about all of this. Um, And so I really hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Please feel free to check out the show notes so you can follow her, find her on social media, find her website, her book, all of that. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, we are welcome, welcoming Kara Reitz to the podcast. How are you, Kara? I'm good. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. I am good. I'm so happy to have you. Before we started recording, I was just telling her I was so in awe with her story. And I was like, you have to come on because I feel like you have already lived so many lives, it seems like, um, <laughs> and experienced so much that you can just... I don't know. We could, I feel like we're going to be able to like talk forever on this. Um, and I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better and for our listeners to get to know your story and who you are. So thank you for joining me. Can you give everyone just like an intro on who you are and what you have going on? Yes, absolutely. My name is Kara Reitz. I am kind of an all around creator. I like to kind of just t- say that I'm a storyteller because 
I have always been, you know, a creative at heart. I'm an actor, a model, a business owner, a health coach, and graphic designer. So just kind of several things, all going back to the root of creativity at their core. You're not busy at all. You have not a lot going on. (laughs) Not at all. Definitely a self-starter type of a person. So, um, so how did you get into all of these things? Like did one kind of propel you into the others or like, what is the story behind all of these different things you have going on? I think that, you know, since I was very, very young starting, probably I have a really, really old soul. Starting at about like four years old, I knew who Marilyn Monroe and I knew who Marilyn Monroe and Audrey Hepburn were. I don't know how I knew who they were, but I knew that I wanted to be in that world. I loved old Hollywood. I would pretend I was back in time all the time. I would lose myself in characters, kind of the typical actor um, bug that's born with you that's kind of different. Didn't want to play tag, didn't want to play sports. I was pretending, right? (laughs) Um, And I would play these characters out for a couple of days, lose myself in the worlds and In school, I'd be sitting there and what I would be thinking about was what storyline I was going to play out when I got home. So that has always been in me. And I was a dancer for about 12 years competitively growing up. And that kind of fulfilled that um, performance quality. All I cared about was the costumes and what the theme of the song was. Um, So it all kind of lent itself back again to storytelling. I wanted to tell the story of the dance number to whatever it may be. Um, And also fashion has always been a big part of my life because it has to do with that, you know, the whole story. Yeah. So basically, yeah. So then throughout middle school, I got signed with a local agent here in Michigan, where I'm from, and there's really obviously not a huge film industry in Michigan. Um, But I was the kid who literally would come home. I was in like the seventh or eighth grade and I would look up Disney Channel auditions, Nickelodeon auditions. I found the casting director's addresses. I found the studio addresses. I would send like these headshots in the mail with my little typed out resume, like directly to these casting directors, like in, in packs, I'd send like 12 out at a time. Right. And just every day crossing my fingers, hoping when I got home from school, I would get a call back. And I just think about that now, like little, what, like 10 year old, 11 year old me, like what, where did that come from? I don't know, but I knew it's what I wanted to do. So that's kind of where that started happening. And I realized that also I'm about, I'm around five foot 10 and I, everyone was always like, you should try to get into modeling. And I was like, you know, okay. Yeah. I love fashion and it could be a segue into, into the film industry. So when I was about 17, I signed with my first agency in Chicago because that's the next biggest market here in the Midwest. And I signed with a really, you know, at the time they were a pretty prominent agency and they would be able to push me to LA, New York, all those things. Um, So I started modeling with them and I did a ton of shoots wherever I could there and in Michigan, but I knew the ultimate goal was LA for me. I always looked a little too old to be on Disney Channel and all those things. So I really never got 
the calls that I wanted back. Um, so that was a little disheartening. And, you know, I faced a lot of letdowns as a younger kid being in competitive dance as well. Um, so people saying no to me never really deterred me um, from the vision I saw of what I wanted. And so, you know, by the time grad high school graduation came around, I like looked at my parents and I'm like, I'm going to move to LA now. Cause I had visited there a couple of times. Um, but I felt that this was what I wanted to do. Um, so at 21, I moved to LA and, um, I stayed two years after high school, but then I went to LA and I was there for the past, uh, three and a half, four years, um, until coronavirus hit and LA's a whole, I feel like my life is split into two parts, the life before LA and the life after LA and how much can happen and how much you can change in the span of just three, three and a half years, the ups and downs. And you think one way about the world and then it just completely shifted for me. So up until now, and then there's life after that. So <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that that's so crazy too, going back to when you were younger and you were packaging up all of those um, resumes and headshots and stuff. I think that shows, I mean, at that age, I'm thinking of myself at that age and I was like, in no way, like, I think we all dreamt of like going on Disney channel because that's what we like grew up on. But I don't think that like me at that age would be confident enough to be like, let me send my photos and a resume to casting directors. Also the fact that you got and you found these addresses is so crazy to me. Like you were determined, <laughs> you were ready to go. Like you knew what you wanted. And I think that's yeah. so cool, especially at the age that you were at and you had this passion and you were like, I'm going for it. I love that. <laughs> and if I could find an email that was even better, I would introduce myself and everything. And like, like I said, you know, I don't know where that came from in me I was borderline stalker with these agencies and casting directors (laughs) I don't even know if anything ever hit their desk right I got a couple cool auditions that like I would seek out and then I'd email my little agent my local agent here in Michigan and I'm like hey Outlander's casting for a 11 year old girl and I want this audition so they find they did that one time for me and I was shocked by that but I don't you know I look back on it now and I think it's like the confidence. I think you're at that age where things are still, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Things are so fresh and new and you haven't really been burned by the world by a lot of people just yet. Yeah, I don't think you've hit that point of like- Right, and even to the point where Disney Channel used to hold these open calls and they had one in Tennessee and my parents drove with me to Tennessee to go to the open call. And like that really, that's the one time where I remember being really heartbreaking, right? Because I would look at this Disney Channel dream from afar, right? And me sending in the things, but never meeting people. But that was my first time really being- front and center with these people. And there were hundreds and hundreds of kids there. Obviously it's an open call. And those that had agents had private meetings and I didn't have an agent at the time. And that was the one real kick in the gut for me, um, that I can remember. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it was, it was tough, but I think the 
end product of what I saw meant so much more to me. Yeah. It was the perception of that versus the nose. And honestly, sometimes it feels like a curse to have such big lofty dreams and goals. Cause I would see kids in my class around me who were just living for today. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing in my young adult life I have learned is presence is living for today and being here for today. Cause mm -hmm. since I was 10 years old, I was never there. Right. I was always looking ahead and I don't want to be here. I cried on my first day of high school because I wanted to live in LA, you know? Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And nobody understood, right? Nobody understood the dream. Nobody understood. And that's what I always felt like nobody understands. And then when I was in modeling as well, we can get more into that because mm -hmm. that was a huge, huge growing experience for me um, was trying to be put in a box of your look and how they want to brand you. And I never fit a particular box because I kind of would become a character in each shoot I would do. I'd slip into it. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, she's an editorial girl, but she's different than that. So how do we brand her? Because she's kind of a chameleon. I was always yeah. acting, you know? Yeah. So. And I wanted to ask you too, with the kind of playing into that, with the casting calls and doing that open call when you drove to Tennessee and like in-person, um, I guess, auditions like that, what was that process like for you, especially at that age? Like what, like for people that don't understand like what that looks like, can you give like some insight yeah. onto like that process? Because I, I can't imagine one, especially at that age, it's easy. Um, but to just like how all of that kind of goes. Yeah, definitely. So there's open casting calls and then there's generally like, if you have an agent, you get a private meeting and a private, um, appointment, which is ultimately what you want. And, um, so for example, the Tennessee thing, I don't even know. I wonder if Disney still does them, but they used to do like twice a year, they would do nationwide casting calls and literally anyone could go. Um, and you stood in line and you'd get, I thought I was going to go in a room by myself with someone, but generally, mm -hmm. you know, you're standing in basically a cattle call line. They tell you to bring, cause you're a kid. They don't really care about professional headshots. So bring a photo and a resume of whatever your experience is. I went into a room. I remember with about four other girls, my age, and they had us, I don't even remember what they had us do. It was like, I think it was a couple lines, but it wasn't even about you as a person. It was just at this point, we have so many people. What's the look we are, we want. Right. And it was like immediately, thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. And then like, you know, right. You kind of knew. Um, on the other hand, when you would do um, personal, like when you'd get called in, my agent here, um, I remember because back when I was about 12, Michigan got a film incentive and everyone thought that we were going to be the next Hollywood because of this tax incentive. So all these movies started coming to film there and I was really excited about that. And I got, I remember a Rob Reiner film um, audition. And uh, that was really cool because I went into the office by myself 
maybe another girl was there, you had a specific appointment time and they let you, you know, do the scene a couple times. And that's, that's generally the real audition process. Now, when you get to LA, totally different too, but, um, generally that's kind of what happens is your agent will send your information out to casting directors. They sift through your headshots and your resume. They call you in for an audition and then there can be as many callbacks as they need until you get the part. So even like people think an audition is just an audition, but they don't realize that you were probably competing with 200 or more other people just to get an audition. So that's such a crazy process to think about. Um, When you would be like for the, for that um, scenario where you're like, okay, thank you. And you kind of just knew like it wasn't yours. What did that feel like, especially at that age or just like as you growing up, like handling rejection in that way? Was that hard mm-hmm. for you? Was that just like, oh, this is just part of it. I'm fine. Because um, I can't imagine like, especially at first that that's like an easy thing to go through. Where you're like, oh, like right. you didn't want me like that, mm-hmm. you know? I think, you know, I, like I said, I was a dancer and I was at a pretty intense studio growing up. And I loved dance. I thought I wanted to be a professional dancer. Um, But generally, a lot of the girls were much shorter than me in the group numbers. So they would kind of go by height and they would then break us off. So I was always kind of put in the back, right? And I would hold out hope every single year that maybe this year's my year, this year's my year. And it would be a letdown for me. And, you know, I was dancing four to five hours, five days a week after school And it was a lot, but I think that really prepped me for the beast that is, you know, the fashion and and film industry. And I think that when I started going on these auditions and it was like the, okay, thank you. Have a good day. um, They don't tell you, you didn't get it. So I would do my best to look at the other side and hold out hope that maybe right and slowly time would kind of go by and you wouldn't get a call and you know by then it's kind of you learn to just let go of it but sometimes I would really want like the Rob Reiner thing I knew the girl that got the part um and that was a little more difficult because when you really want it you know you really think about it and almost I have found that the people that kind of don't want it as bad sometimes end up getting it because they've let go of it Mm -hmm. um and I was the kid that couldn't let go so sometimes wanting something too much and being too passionate about something can work to can be a detriment yeah yeah well and it's just like I think anyone on the outside's perspective like someone like me looking at your story and you going through that process I could not imagine the ups and downs of that and then having to like really work on yourself to be like okay you need to be able to like handle rejection and handle the no's because someday there will be a yes but the actual process of learning to handle that I can't imagine is easy um especially as you're growing up and as you're learning more about yourself um, I don't think you ever do like learn to fully accept it because there's always going to be the thing you really want And every situation and scenario of a casting or a meeting is so different and so many different people, it's always new. And so you can do it for many years, like 
I remember hearing an interview with Hugh Jackman when he wanted the part of Jean Valjean in Les Mis. I mean, he was, I think he was Wolverine by this point. He was a huge actor by this point. And he said that when I got the audition for this part, this was like, if I don't get this part, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Mm -hmm. So even then, like, even at that high level, he still felt that yearning and that I don't know what my life will look like if I don't get this because I want it so bad. So, you know, it's, you're never, you're never fully comfortable with it. He said that on his way to the audition, like several things happened and he was late and all these things. And you would think that he was like an A-lister be totally different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You would think, um, that's so (laughs) interesting. I think it's easy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so going into like the modeling industry specifically, Mm -hmm. um, how, I mean, we've talked about the process of like rejection and stuff, but obviously number one, it's way harder than it looks. I think a lot of people just think modeling is like a pretty face and you just stand there and you look good and it's simple when I I think a majority of people know that that's not the case. Um, Mm -hmm. but can you give sort of like that inside scoop on, what that actually kind of entails and maybe the like the work that goes into it and yeah ups and downs and all of that because I can't imagine it's actually just standing there looking pretty <laughs> right absolutely not um the modeling industry I will say is an industry that really has thrown me for a loop much more than the film industry which is not something I would expect because I had always wanted to be an actor more than I wanted to be a model So I thought that I wouldn't care as much, Mm. I think, about fashion. Um, But because I was getting more success at that time with getting signed and more castings than I was acting, I think I put more focus into it. And I wanted to get out of my hometown. I wanted to start building these connections. And I knew I could do that with fashion. So I think that In terms of modeling, well, what I did was I just love creative concepts and photo shoots. And so I already had had, I used to save so many photos on Pinterest, like way back when in Tumblr. And I started seeing, you know, the supermodels and I've always loved all of those Vogue editorial shoots. And I'm like, I want to do this and I want to be in this scenario as a model. I want to do a shoot like this. So I started, um, doing just test shoots with photographers locally to me. And this was before I was even signed. Um, And I started just kind of building my book a little bit. It was not, you know, an agency book, but I was getting photos and I was getting experience. I believe in the law of attraction and things coming to you when it's meant for you. And I remember I didn't even really try. And I started getting all these photographers in Michigan reaching out to me. And that never happened to me with acting. So I'm like, Hmm, okay, I'm going to go with this. Um, and then I had my profile out on a website back. I think it was like models. I don't know if it was models.com or something like that back then. And Chicago reached out to me and that was huge because I had never had someone Mm -hmm. scout me. Like I was the one going to the cattle calls and the castings and the open castings. You were the one packaging, you know, the envelopes. I was the one hustling. So yeah. So are turning now. Right. That's what it felt like. And so I went to this, um, I went to the initial meeting with them and that 
was, I think, my first awakening to the modeling industry because immediately they wanted to change my hair. Um, They wanted to cut it. They wanted to color it. You know, they took my measurements. Um, They never, I've never had an agency that is, you know, you hear the horror stories back in the 90s and stuff about them telling you to lose weight. And I'm sure that's out there. But in my experience, I've never really experienced an agent really pushing like that for, you know, a certain size, they might, you know, suggest working out or whatever, because Europe does have certain standards. If you wanted to go to Europe and it's the nature of the beast. Um, so, you know, I remember, but that even getting measured, you know, that's, that's like, I don't care your, your size, if you fit the clothes, if you don't, that's still like, makes you think right and you kind of obsess about it um so they signed me and they changed my hair I remember I hated what they did to my hair initially because I had it really blonde and they wanted Auburn because Chicago was more of a commercial market so they Mm. wanted that feel and I remember just crying and crying like oh my god it was the biggest deal I just didn't like the hair and like they're changing me and um I had always had such a specific vision for myself that it was difficult to give over control of all of that. And I don't think a lot of people realize that about models is like, um, especially, you know, they look at these models today that are like Gigi and Bella and the supermodels. That's what you're, that's what you're fed with most of the time but the reality is there's so many girls that are signed with the same agencies as these girls and they're treated 100% differently Mm -hmm. um they're working their asses off to even get a job okay and let alone most of the shoots are free they're not getting paid Mm, really yeah so they have to rise above that some way and differentiate themselves. And it's not about your looks. It's about showing up on time, being professional in, this is all my opinion. And it's also about outside of that, doing your own shoots. That's what I did when I wasn't getting fed the castings or the jobs or the photographers I wanted, I'd reach out to a photographer I knew and said, here's a concept I want to do. Can we do it? You know, so creating that outside of yourself, but like I said, nothing's paid. And um, when I started going to castings for my agency in Chicago, that was when I really got um, a really big taste of the industry because they had all these New York agencies come and meet with you and all the girls from the agency were there. And like, that's when the comparison game can really get in your head and I was only um I would think I had just turned 17 which you know wasn't super young to start modeling but I'd never really been in that before so it was it was definitely a culture shock this is why I wanted to like get your insight because it's not something that I as someone that's not in this industry would ever think of but now that you've said it with you showing up to you know, an event or something and them looking at you saying, we want to cut your hair. We want to color it. We want to change it. We want to change your look. It's because they had a vision maybe for something, but Mm -hmm. you being the model, I can't like, I'm picturing myself in your scenario, like becoming their vision 
and looking in the mirror and seeing somebody else, I feel like would be tough to kind of deal with. And then you have to go home and your hair is still that way. And now you are maybe like feeling a little bit odd in your body and you're confused. And like, did they not like, maybe you're questioning, you know, did they not like my hair because it was, it looked bad or is that because they wanted to do this originally? And that was the vision. Like, I can't imagine what the mind games are once you're kind of thrown into this world because it is such a, I think, um, strenuous like position to be in because obviously you want to work, you want those jobs. And so you're going to do what they are looking for because you're probably happy that you're there. You're happy that you are wanted right. in the scenario. Want to so be go grateful. With- yeah. And you want to be grateful. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But then I think going home and being like, wow, my hair is now to my ears and I have a different color and I don't look like me. What do I do now? Um, I can't imagine like the, yeah, those mind games and like, how did that affect you kind of being thrusted into this industry? Well, I like to say that there's absolutely no, I, well, there in my mind, there's an unwritten rule book and I don't even know if there is, but like, there seems like there's this unwritten rule book in modeling in the modeling world and you're not given it like you know if you go to college and you get a degree in a certain um, field and then you make the the particular resume that they talk to you about in college to apply for jobs for that industry it's kind of there's you know a rule book in the corporate world and all of these things mm-hmm. and when you sign with a modeling agency each one of them they kind of all operate the same, I would say, but differently. And there's no rule book, rule book to each agency. So you get signed, right? But then, you know, for example, there was a girl from my hometown who was also signed with the Chicago agency. And I noticed that she was getting shoots with a lot of um, a lot of photographers I wanted to work with, and I felt that she was getting um, more attention. And I found out she was w- working with a different agent than I was given. Okay, so like, how would I know that though? Mm-hmm. Right? How would I know that? And how would I know what to ask for? And then on the other hand, when you're that young, you're afraid to kind of ask ask questions of them too because you're fearful that they're gonna drop you of and and sign the next the next girl right so you're a little bit leery of asking questions because I don't have um, a huge name for myself I'm not booking a ton of jobs yet I don't have a great book so how do I maintain some control and work together and do they like me don't they like me you know sending Christmas gifts sending these things not really being sure. And and that's the one thing that frustrates me to no end is that there's not a lot of, you don't know what to expect. Structure and yeah. There's no structure. And like, that's fine. I don't mind, you know, the lack of structure in terms of castings, but I feel like, oh man, like just how like the Screen Actors Guild is unionized in the film industry. So they have a union where actors are protected um, if you join the union. There's no there's no model unions to for minimum pay rates for models or to keep us safe or all of these things. There's none of that. And so that's what needs to change 
in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. I know. I think that's like a really tough situation to be in, especially when you are afraid to ask questions or you're afraid to sort of vouch for yourself because you're, Mm -hmm. you don't want to lose the opportunity and you're like scared to lose the job, which I don't love that. I think that there should be Mm -hmm. some sort of scenario where you're, you feel safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that, that could have been just me too because you know there were some girls I would talk to who were very forward and would ask them questions but like I wanted to be nice sure I wanted to do right you know I wanted it to be right I didn't want to screw it up and Mm -hmm. hindsight's 2020 but looking back you know this is your career you're living your life they're not living your life and you you at the end of the day call the shots and that's taken me a long time in this industry to realize because they make you think that you really don't have much control but you do Mm -hmm. you really do I think that's great advice also outside of just modeling like being able to stand up for yourself in scenarios I think you kind of learn as you grow too but I think it's so important to vouch for yourself stand up for yourself um in situations like this whether it is in modeling in this industry or if it's in another job, like I think there's always a little bit of that in everyone where they're like, oh, mm-hmm. like I'm a little nervous to say this because I don't want to lose my job, get in trouble, like mess something up if I speak right. out. But I think that that's that could be the opposite, though. What if you speak out and then so much changes in a great way for you? So I think it's mm-hmm. like such a good lesson to learn. So I think also just piggybacking off of talking about having some sort of union or protection for models in the industry. I think that especially for younger girls, um, being a teenager and even a young adult in and of itself is really difficult with your peers and comparing yourself and, you know, how you look in your body and all of these things at this age, it hits you no matter who you are, mm-hmm. um, but then to be thrown into fashion. Um, and that's kind of what it, a lot of it is about. Um, but also not, cause I'll talk about that, but I think what I w- would love to see is when I first started, I had wanted to work out more. Cause I was just getting into that age as a teenager to get more active and I'm a model and, you know, I wanted the measurements and, um, nobody really told me what to do and that like how what's a healthy way to you know tone up or you know lose a couple inches in a healthy way all of those things no one told me that right so I turned to Google and um that that's dangerous and other model stories I wanted to know about other model stories and what they did um And you're so susceptible when you're just trying to soak in information like a sponge and do the right thing that you don't question anything. Like everything to me was just fact. Like she said it in an interview, that's the fact, right? That's what she does. And I'm going to do it too, you know, not knowing the story, the context at all. Um, So for me, that's where the confusion happened. And to add on top of that at about 14 years old, I was diagnosed with, um, hypothyroidism or in Hashimoto's, which is an underactive thyroid. Um, 
it runs in my mom's side of the family. And I remember really given being given no explanation about it other than your metabolism is a little bit slower than everyone else's. And it can be hard for you to lose weight if you need to. Um, and here's some medication for it. Mm. What? Yeah. What? I'm sorry. Huh? I, I remember thinking, okay. I was like, okay, my mom said it's not a big deal. You know, she only knows so much of what only her doctors told her in the past, right? right. So I'm like, okay, I guess it's not a big deal. But now here we are three years later and now I'm getting into modeling. And now that's in the back of my head, even if it's not completely true, right? But it's in the back of my mind. So I'm looking at these other models all around me and I'm thinking to myself, they're working hard for their body or how they look. I've got to work harder because my metabolism apparently is slower. So I pushed myself too hard, way too hard with no context and developed a disordered eating, a, a disordered relationship with food mm-hmm. and not even realizing that I had that disordered relationship because I was rationalizing it in my brain that I was different right? Because my doctor said this Mm -hmm. thing. And that's the one of the most frustrating things to me about the medical field for this condition is there is no, there hasn't been much research in my opinion by the doctors to give their patients accurate information. And I have met a lot of other women who are struggling with hypothyroidism, who believe that like they literally can't eat because of their condition. Wow. And that's really what spurred me into the health journey that I've been on now and becoming, you know, certified and going to school for it. Um, Because I was like, there's another way in this. And you know, pushing myself over exercising, messing with my hormones in turn because of doing that, under eating, all of these things. And after learning about the body and learning so much more about it, realizing how very wrong what I was told was and what my thinking was, which is a huge relief, but it's come after a lot of struggle, you know? I mean, when you're not given a lot of information on a diagnosis like that, I can't imagine where your mind goes. Like at first, you mean, even just you sharing that with us, it's like, you're in shock. You're like, what do you mean? Excuse me? What does that even look like? What does that mean for me? I'm in this industry. Is that going to change my life? Like what? And they're just like, you're fine. It's just deal with it. You just have a slow metabolism. That is no information. What does this mean? How am I supposed to navigate life with this? Like there are so many questions there. And Mm -hmm. the fact that you got little to no answers, um, is crazy to me. That's so frustrating. Um, and so I think it's, it makes sense why, you had that sort of mentality of like, well, I guess I just need to work 10 times harder and barely eat because I don't know how else to do this. I think that's right. I mean, that was like the, that's probably the natural response that anyone would have when they're given two pieces of information like that. Um, that's a really hard 
I think thing to go through when you don't have a lot of information when you were, when you had that like sort of negative relationship with food and you were looking at it in that way, because you thought I can't really have a ton or I need to work out or whatever the case may be. What did that look like day to day? Like, did you, were you aware that that's what was happening or did you think, well, this is just what I have to do? I, I mean, my body felt like it wasn't right, but I felt like, I felt like I knew it's what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, I was looking at other models and they're working out and they're in, in shape and they're, and they're able to do these things and, and look the way they want. And a stigma I'd also like to break sometimes is like that models don't eat. I'm not saying that every girl is, doesn't have a, a disordered relationship with food. Um, but a lot of the models that I met in my experience had great relationships with food. They were mindful, they were healthy. And actually they would show me, they, it would give me some ease sometimes when I go out to eat with another model or whatever. And here I was struggling with it. And it started kind of, I started getting shame around it, feeling shame around it. When I was kind of in my senior year of high school, I was hanging out with my friends and suddenly I had started modeling. So I was really the disordered eating kind of started because I would go out to eat with them and I would not eat much. And it was such a shift from what they saw from before. And immediately they, my, my girlfriends kind of would clam up about it. Nobody ever asked me about it, asked me if I was okay. Mm. Um, just kind of, cause it's uncomfortable, yeah. you know, like it's, it's uncomfortable. And I think they immediately thought, well, she's a model now, like she's a model now. So that's like, what models do. You that's know, that why, kind of, yeah. what a shame, like what a shame is that, that all she cares about is her looks. Right. And in the reality that was so far from the truth, I was just trying to do what I thought was right. And that is a huge thing for me in my life that I, if I can make a difference about, I want to break down that shame around any mental health issue or any eating issue for that matter. Because, you know, if you have a heart condition, you go to the doctor and they tell you the condition you have, and they give you a heart monitor, whatever, I don't know, but you are open to tell your friends and family about it. Yeah. You know, I have high blood sugar. I have this, I have that no big deal. Right. Now, if a girl goes to someone and says, yeah, I kind of have an eating disorder or I kind of have anxiety, I kind of have OCD, um, people are like, we don't want to talk. What? She's crazy. She's got some issues. Like she's very, um, you know, egotistical. There's all these things that I, that people that come up in their minds and there's no context to it. And I think women feel like they need to explain themselves out of their issues with food that they may have or body image or whatever it may be when that just needs to go away because you don't have to explain yourself. We all at the end of the day want to feel and look the best about ourselves and feel good inside and out. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Because when I started waking up to it and feeling really shameful about myself, like, wow, is this really what I care about? What's wrong with me? You know, I started, I started thinking that I was that person. And then that leads to not liking yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're thinking about what other people are thinking of you. 
And if someone had just said to me, you know, tell me your story, talk me out what's going on here. I'm here to listen. And I would have said, well, my thyroid, this, 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 and I'm just trying to do the right thing. And if someone would have said, there's nothing wrong with you, that would have changed my mind completely. Yeah. I think that's like the power and being able to like be vulnerable, be able to talk to people about it. Um, and I think that you said it yourself, you start to maybe not like yourself because you're, you're the only one that really knows what's going on. You're the Mm -hmm. only one in your head. And so of course you're going to not, of course, but it would be maybe a little normal to have those like negative thoughts because you're the only one kind of in your head talking to yourself about it. I think that there's so much power in reaching out to somebody or like I, like you had mentioned, your friends started noticing you weren't maybe eating as much. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just like chalked it up to, well, she's a model now. That's just what they do. Part of me is just like, Oh, I wish one of your friends was like, Hey, like it's, I'm noticing maybe on the side, they don't need to do it in a big, you know, at a dinner party or something, but Hey, like I noticed you're not eating a ton. Like, are you okay? Like is something going on? Are you doing this for work? And then that would have been such like the doors would have opened and you would have been like, Oh, I'm so glad you asked me. I'm going through this illness right now. And I was just told that, you know, and like all these things would have just all of it, just one person, you know, Yeah, it would have been so much easier for you to go through. I think it would have brought maybe your friends are dealing with their own struggles and they didn't know that you were going through similar stuff and that's so much power in talking about things and you said like yeah when other people have um things going on they like okay I have heart I have a heart issue like you're gonna tell your friends that because you just got back from the doctor and now you're like well shit I have a heart issue and why is it why is there a stigma around things like this, where you are like, well, I might, or maybe I do have an eating disorder and I don't know where mm-hmm. to go. And so you should be able to open up to your friends about it or talk to people about it. Because if not, I think those negative thoughts would just continue. Um, right. and like, how do you get that shame out? And how do you get out of that hole essentially without right. opening up to people? I think that's like such a tough situation to be in alone. And accepting that it is that, that this is what's going on and not shoving it under the rug. Um, that was the big aha moment for me too, was like, okay, this is, this is stressing me out way too much. And also in terms of like, you know, we talk about when we have different, you know, high blood sugar, heart problem, whatever your brain is an organ as well. And your brain health is the most important thing. Absolutely. And so let's talk about that. You know, this is my brain. This is what's going on in my brain right now. This is what's going on in my mind. I want to talk about it. It's just like any other part of the body. Let's, let's diminish, not diminish, but let's like take down the guard and the intensity and the emotion around it. Let's just go general about it. You know, let's just go general. No big deal. Not the end of the world, you know, just like everything else. Um, but I had, I had come to a realization with it was when I moved to LA is when I really hit, I would call my rock bottom, my life before LA and my life after. So, well, and being in LA and being in that environment, do you think that that contributed to your health journey and being able and like, well, maybe two sides of the coin there, one being in that environment of like the hustle and trying to everyone's looking their best and 
mm-hmm. keeping up with all of the other people in town and keeping up with the trends and keeping up with the looks. But also, do you think that there's a side to LA that was like kind of on the wellness side that was like, hey, there are places and people that are into wellness and that really take care of themselves. And maybe I yeah. go that way. Um, what was your experience like in the city and in that environment? Yeah, this is the part that I really love talking about because this is when I shifted really. So I, when I moved to LA, I was, um, 21 turning 22 and, um, I had been in the same pattern of the over-exercise under eating, playing, uh, like calculating, right. Playing Russian roulette with myself all the time, you know, like this, these mind games with myself all the time. And, um, it kept me from a lot of things because I was afraid, like, you know, if I do this, then, um, I won't have access to a workout area for a week and a half and things like that. Just the Mm -hmm. obsession about it, right. And the fear surrounding it, because in my mind, I had to work so much harder than everybody else, um, to maintain, and, um, and show up. And so it was just, so I had begun kind of doing some research surrounding the thyroid and I was taking thyroid medication and I had stopped taking it, um, because my thyroid levels went normal again. And my doctor just really didn't check it anymore and was like, okay, you know, so I moved to LA and, um, I was tired all the time but I was still pushing myself to, you know, run. And I was running a lot. So I would go to the gym and run and run. Um, but I would, I felt like complete garbage all the time and also was not fueling myself properly to, for those runs. Um, and I had gotten signed to a runway division of an agency there. Um, and I was knocking on all kinds of doors for modeling agencies to get my foot in the door there, because that's where I thought would be the best route first to take was to get signed there. And then, you know, a lot of agencies in LA have an acting division if they're a fashion agency. So I thought I can make connections there. Um, Through that too, I was going to acting school in LA and that was like my one place where I could go and just let go. That was, you know, that's my love. So that's where I could go. But I moved in to an apartment um, with five other roommates. Wow. I'm an only child. So, um, a little bit of an adjustment, (laughs) a little bit to me though. I like you talk, we talked about earlier. I've always been so focused on my dream that like that stuff didn't even bother me. Right. It was not even in my sphere at the time until I moved, moved in. And I was in a tiny, tiny room. The girl that owned the place is from my hometown. So I felt comfort in the fact that I knew her and that was, that was a blessing to me that I knew someone in this big city um, initially, but I was in this little room. I didn't have a car and it just really started to take its toll because I was trying to find work in my field. I was tired all the time. I was confused about my diet and my exercise. I was running my health into the ground, the stress of moving, Um, the stress of money, all of those things. And I was seeing, you know, it's funny when you're in LA, you can go to Beverly Hills and go grocery shopping or these places of extreme wealth of the people on the other side. 
and you see it as an example, or like you said, wellness people, I like, I would go to Erewhon. I love that grocery store. <laughs> I would go there. It's like a health food grocery store in LA. And I just would see the people and like, they seemed so happy. Some of them that you could tell they were wellness people, the products they'd buy and their yoga outfits and all this stuff. But <laughs> they seemed happy though. They seemed, there was a sense of ease in their aura, you know? And I was like, I want that. You know, I come from the Midwest slash East coast kind of feel of this hustle and grind. And both my parents, you know, worked their whole lives. And I was fed that in order to get what you wanted, you had to just work your butt off until you dropped, you know, like nothing came easy, like work harder, work harder, not smarter. So, that's what I thought my life had to look like. But then I was seeing in LA, this other side of the coin where people had kind of an ease and grace about them in things and that things weren't the end of the world if if they didn't work out. And I was like, why don't I need that? Like I need some of that. So I kind of was seeing it. I wasn't taking it in for myself yet. And then that's when I started working at Shape House. And it's kind of like a sauna little studio. I was working there part-time. And I met a lot of clients there and I was able to sauna, go in the sauna myself. And there's all these benefits to an infrared sauna, but, um, you know, they give you one, which is the calorie burn. Right. And so for me, I was like, mm, right. That clicked in for me, but I started doing it regularly. And that's when, for the first time I felt like a cloud lifted over me. Um, this, I felt better. Suddenly I had more energy and I realized I need to look deeper into my thyroid and what's going on here because something's off. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really just kind of almost scared myself from doing too much research. I think without talking to, you know, a holistic doctor or anything first, I started trying all these different supplements that I read would be good for me, et cetera. And they weren't the best for me. Um, so ultimately kind of scaring myself into research about it. And I got my levels checked and I was super underactive again, cause I had not been on medication. And so that's why I was feeling so terrible, you know, but trying to self-diagnose. And that's one thing that in this world of TikTok and Instagram, I think young people are trying to self-diagnose and looking at the diets and the, what I eat in a days and all those things. I did all of that. I did all of it. I tried to emulate it. I tried to do it in an attempt to get better. And it led me nowhere until I spoke to a great holistic doctor, got professionals because every person's body is so unique and different, you know? So that's kind of when I had hit my rock bottom, but I switched when I started working at shape house, started feeling better. Think realizing that these things do work and then started meditating here in there. And, and I know this is so cliche, but meditation changed my life. Absolutely. So you just found a complete shift. And I think you bring up a huge, very important point that it's very easy and a little dangerous to self-diagnose. And I think you had a great mm -hmm. point with TikTok. I have seen so many videos on the what I eat, what I eat in the day. And believe me, I love those videos. They're so aesthetically pleasing. You like to see what other people are eating. I'm a little nosy. I'm like, oh, that's, let me write that meal down. That looks mm -hmm. good. But there's a part to that where, you know, you're looking at, you're kind of 
looking a little too much into what they're eating and right. maybe you stick to that and it becomes your diet and everybody's body is different. And I think it's mm-hmm. really dangerous to base your, what your intake is on someone else's life and someone else's. Right. And I think it's so easy with all the technology that we have to do that, to self-diagnose and think, okay, well, I, I want to look like her. So let me eat exactly what she's eating. Oh my God. And it's just like, you fall into this, you fall into this hole where you're like, why, why, like, why not go to somebody if you're feeling this way, a professional or like you went to see Mm -hmm. a a holistic doctor, Mm -hmm. somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. Because at the end of the day, uh, you don't know what these people really know. And I will say there are some videos that I see that are stitched and it is, it, there are professionals stitching the video and they're like, stop, you're watching Mm -hmm. this for the wrong reasons. And I caught Mm -hmm. you and please like be healthier and think about what you're putting into your body and fuel your body. Because yeah, I think that's a really tough thing. And you mentioned earlier with hitting the cardio so much that that was like all you did. And then you weren't feeling your body or weren't giving your body enough nutrients after all of that cardio. And I think so many people just think like, oh, cardio is working out. And if I do cardio and then I, maybe I don't eat a lot, that's how I'm going to be healthy. That's the cycle I was in for about two and a half years. And when I changed that, was when I got the results I wanted. Exactly. There you go. was like mind-blowing to me. That was absolutely mind-blowing. And that's when I was like, huh, there is something more to this. And I think at first, you know, each day I'm still trying to figure out what my flow is because it changes with every season of your life. And one thing that worked a couple of years ago might not work for you anymore. Um, labeling yourself as plant-based or a meat eater or whatever, you might want meat for three months and then you don't want it for three months. So there's no labels. Like let's get rid of the labels completely. Let's get rid of the labels because your body is an amazing, amazing machine and an organism. And it is so smart and it knows what to do and it will tell you what it needs. And that's been so enlightening to listen to and to tap into more and more from myself. But going back to the social media and the TikTok thing, um, you know, like last night I was watching one and this girl did a video about how she's walking 10 miles a day. Yes. I saw this one last night too. That's hilarious. (laughs) Did you? Okay. (laughs) So I don't mind this girl, but I have watched her other stuff, but like, I thought, oh my God, if when I was in the thick of my struggle, I saw a video like that, that would have sent me, that would have just sent me, like I would have began walking 10 miles a day. Exactly. Because it, it, it it wouldn't even be at that point that I wanted to look like her, but in my mind, I would have thought, okay, she's doing that. My thyroid she doesn't even have a thyroid condition that I know of that I know of she could, but that I know of, I'm making that up in my head. I'm going to do it too. Right. Mm-hmm. And then she added context to the video after, cause she was getting a lot of backlash, but even so like things like that, people on, on social media, people that have a platform, I just really hope 
we realize more and more how detrimental even off the cuff comments like that can be for someone because you got to give context. You got to give a backstory if you're going to put something out there that's that extreme like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's what really gets me. Um, and I love that you use this example because I, I saw the video yesterday and also the backlash video where she explained, okay, yes, I, I guess you guys are kind of mm-hmm. caught up on me saying that I walk 10 miles a day we are caught up because you're giving us 30 second videos of your life. And I think that's, what's important as a viewer and a consumer of this content is we are seeing the best. And I say this all the time on this podcast with Instagram, it's the highlight reel. You're only seeing a glimpse and a little smidget of like somebody's life. You're not seeing the full picture. And we have to take that into consideration because with TikTok too, these are 30 second minute, maybe three minute videos it's not long enough to really understand this person as a person and, and to understand their day-to-day and Mm -hmm. details. Like we're just seeing a little glimpse, a cute video, maybe a brief comment like she made. And Mm -hmm. then it's so easy for people to get stuck on that one comment. And so people got stuck on her saying, yeah, I walk 10 miles a day every day, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So the backlash video, she's explaining like, just so you know, this is only sometimes during the day. Like I just walk a lot. Um, also I have feet problems now. Also I have some, like, it was like all these I have blisters and foot I got blisters on my feet. I have sunburn. I, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but as a consumer, you're seeing that first video. You might not even have seen the second video, um, right. ever, but you're seeing that video of her saying that and instantly in your head. And even me, I'm like, do I need to be walking 10 miles a day? Like, like it's a thought. I walk gonna- a lot, but like, <laughs> Like, is that something that I have to do? And Mm -hmm. it's, I I don't know. It's very tough. It's a little dangerous. Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. it's just a fine line, you know? I think that, you know, what happened to me was at the time, I was always the person growing up who knew exactly what they wanted for themselves and what they wanted to do, what kind of food they liked, what they didn't like when I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. I was that very for sure person. And suddenly I wasn't anymore. Suddenly I wasn't. When I was put in this environment, when I was in LA, suddenly I was a person that I didn't even recognize anymore. I was so indecisive. I couldn't make decisions. And it was because I was basing all of my decisions off what either I thought other people wanted from me or from what I saw on social media, like truthfully, because I was in an apartment with six other people in a really small room trying to get out of that, trying to get an apartment by myself. So I really didn't have the space to create a business yet to um, do the things I really wanted to do. So what I went to was the easiest thing. And that was social media for Mm -hmm. me to find information out, to get better, to move forward. And that's what I think a lot of young people are in. If they're in school, if they're living at home, whatever it is, and they're trying to get out of it, they're going to turn to social media. And I don't know why we think for some reason, just because someone gets on a camera and says what they eat in a day, that somehow they know more than you do. Like I could do that. Anyone could do that. Anyone could show what they eat in a day or share their workout routine. Everybody is doing that, which is what we have to find. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this very fine line. And it's like, It wasn't until I literally started, I started doing this meditation. I'll never forget where it was a visualization meditation. 
And I hadn't, when I was a little girl, I used to lay in the grass and I would daydream about what I wanted my life to look like. Uh And I had thought that that was a childish thing as I got older. So I stopped doing it. I stopped kind of using my imagination and I started doing that meditation and it was about visualizing your ideal life and your ideal self. And suddenly I started to see the girl again. I started to see what she was wearing, how she showed up in the world, how she talked to people, what she ate, how she worked out, how she moved her body, how she listened to herself. And I could see the things I didn't need to look on social media. I didn't need to look at who that, what that person was eating because suddenly I saw it and I just did it consistently. And every time there would be a new detail or it would be in a different storyline. And that's the power, right? That's the power you can tap into. Anybody can do it. We all have it within us. We have the answers. We're the ones that have the answers, not anyone else outside of us. I love that you made that point because even just this conversation, it's reminding me of where we started this conversation, which was the little girl that you were, that was so brave and so confident and knew exactly what she wanted. And she took on life and all of those stressors and obstacles and things kind of got in your way and Mm -hmm. life happened. And so it's really easy to kind of like suppress the little girl in you and just try to like battle through life's challenges and trying to get through and the best way that you know how mm-hmm. um and to lose the fact that you said like lose your like creativeness and lose your imagination like that's sad but it's so important to maybe remember who you used to be and what you dreamt for yourself as a child because i think that um you're still that's still you that's still in you and i had a guest come on a while ago and now i'm forgetting who this is but they said that they um they went through a period of time in their life where they felt really lost mm-hmm. and they didn't really they looked in the mirror and they didn't really recognize themselves anymore they didn't know mm-hmm. what they liked or what they were passionate about and so mm-hmm. her goal was to think about her younger self what did mm-hmm. 8 year old 9 year old me want i love that And she realized that she did dance just like you. And so she, Mm -hmm. um, now I'm remembering who the guest is. Um, she did Mm -hmm. dance and she had quit because she found, I mean, she grew up and she thought like, oh, this is not, this isn't realistic for me. I need to, I need to, she went into law. Like, so she was like, I don't Mm -hmm. think that that's, you know, my path. And Mm -hmm. so she she thought back to her younger self, how passionate, passionate she was about dance. And she took up dance again. And she's like, that is my outlet. I feel so much better. I feel more like me again. And so I think it's important to, if you are feeling uneasy or you're not feeling like yourself or you're in this weird, like phase of your life, maybe do think about the younger version of yourself because she's still, or he is still in you. I always, yeah, yeah, I, I, I always say that your five and six year old self is like the wisest you that there is. It's before it's before anyone changed your perspective. It's before any outside source got in. You just knew when you were born into this world, you knew you were like every little child. You see most of them are happy and they're happy if they're not you know, conditioned yet, um, by outside sources. Mm -hmm. I love watching old home movies of myself because 
like I just see that little girl and like you want to give her a hug and like that's you inside that little girl knew what she wanted every day she knew what she wanted to do every single day and what she wanted for herself and her life and that's what I began to do when I started this meditation my because my, I was having like a life crisis pretty much because in acting, you have to use your imagination all the time. And if that's closed, um, you're not going to be present for it. You're not going to be successful. And I was at the time going into my acting classes giving, it wasn't me. It wasn't who I knew myself to be. I was not giving, I couldn't think beyond what my current problems were. So I was like, I got to figure something out because this is my life right now. This is the path I've chosen. So I have to open this back up and that became the mission. So I started meditating and then without really trying, I started to just notice, like, you know, when you're a little kid and you see like a cloud in the sky and you're like, wow, that's so beautiful. Like little kids just love the most mundane things. They find beauty in them. And that's when I realized that like, I am, I Kara, am not the thoughts I think, right? Just because I think a negative thought doesn't mean that thought is me nor that it's true. That was like a big aha moment. And then I started just thinking, it just suddenly I started looking at the world differently and I'd see like a beautiful flower and I just appreciate it. And I know that sounds like really people who are not in that place hard to understand but Mm -hmm. it was suddenly that's when I knew my mind was shifting right that's when I knew my mind was changing because I started to suddenly see how beautiful the little things were in life and that's when I knew something was happening something good was happening for the first time in a long time for me in in that yeah and it doesn't take a lot of like it's not rocket science it's not you know, I also see on TikTok a lot, these trends of like people like sending you energy or like do this, this, and this to manifest or do all these things for law of attraction. And it's like, once again, where's the context Mm -hmm. to this? What's your routine? You know, I love learning about law of attraction and all of those things, but like, it is so simple. It's so simple. Like don't complicate it you know? Exactly. So with that, I wanted to get to know how you started your podcast. So you have a podcast, um, the art of wellness society. Mm -hmm. And I think that everything we're talking about is like perfectly ties into maybe how you started that and how you thought to have a platform on something like wellness. So can you tell me like what that process looked like and what really sparked you started yeah. when I was living in LA at the time of the difficult time. I knew I, I in LA you have people who are literally doing ten thousand things at one time. You have people mm-hmm. that are models, but they're also writers. They own a, a skincare line. They're this. They're that. And like, I don't know how much of it is true for everybody, but like, I didn't know like some people lie either. I was like, I'm. I believe it. You're telling me, you know, because I've always been that person. So. But some people are doing like a whole bunch of things at one time. And that kind of for a while made me feel really bad about myself that like I'm just acting and and modeling, you know, but like I know that I I, I love visual arts. I've always been into photography and 
when I lived in Michigan, I would creative direct my own shoots and in Chicago and those things. But I kind of had lost that because I fell into slipped into like solely focusing on that and making it so much a part of my identity. So basically I knew I wanted to start a business. I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what, because at the time I was so blocked, my imagination was blocked. So um, basically right around the time that the pandemic hit, I was moving into my own apartment in LA. I'd found an apartment I was moving in and literally lockdown happened and I came home. So I never really got the opportunity to live in the apartment by myself, which was really heartbreaking. But at the same time, I believe it was the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, showing me what I needed to do at the time for myself. And from there, I started just meditating more, started just, you know, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we all had so much time to think. We had so much time to reflect and think about our lives. And you either could look at it in a really negative way, or you can use it as a tool and be grateful for it, that this is time you never would have gotten for yourself. Because I was always in this LA grind of, oh my God, if I don't do this thing or post or do this, like I'm going to be forgotten tomorrow by my agency, not me forgetting myself, but like all my power was going to other people. Right. And I remember when the pandemic first started, I was like panicking. I was like, oh my God, I got to keep posting. Like, what do I do? And when am I going back? What's going on? And my mom like looked at me, I remember, and she was like, Kara, every nobody's doing like anything right now like you need to just like settle that took me a really long time to even just settle and just chill and just to relax I hadn't relaxed in my brain for so long and this is where presence comes in because all I had was the present moment all we had was the present moment no one knew what was going to happen day to day um so suddenly I love to go on walks and I would walk really early in the morning. And that's when I started just kind of like noticing, you know, I'd been in LA in a city, so I hadn't been around a lot of greenery and trees and nature. Yeah. And I started just like, just literally in my like suburb hometown neighborhood, I was like, dad, you got to see this like plant. Like you got to see this thing. It's so beautiful. Like come walking with me in the morning. And he's like, what? Like, why? (laughs) why are you finding this so great like why do you find this so beautiful and it's like that's because that's how blocked I was all that time you know that's how turned off I was to just the beauty around me for so long so I started just like I took my camera and I just started you know taking photos again and I was like okay I love I miss photography like I miss doing this this is all so beautiful and um, so then my walks continued to happen and they kind of almost turned into like meditative things where I'd listen to music and I just, you know, use that one hour of time to not think about anything and let whatever came in, came in for me. And that's when one day, literally I was thinking about how much I loved wellness and how much I loved art and how I had wanted to start a business. I always struggled with like, I didn't want to be the wellness girl because there were so many out there. And I didn't know if I could be or had the confidence to be like an art business Um, because I, I don't know why that's just, I'm harder on myself about creativity. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly 
like I had a thought in my head, the art of wellness society, like a group of people like, and I'm like art and wellness. They're one in the same mm-hmm. because you curate your life based on the choices and decisions you make within yourself every single day. Like it's a work of art. Your life itself is a work of art. And that's when that hit me. And I was like, I love this. I have to do something with it. I have to do something with it. I don't know what yet, but I have to. And, um, so that's when I started, I realized I had all of these photos that I had been taking every day and each photo that I had taken and edited brought out like an emotion in me. It brought in the memory to me, whether it was a smell an inspiration, whatever, they all were attached to something. I'm like, that's interesting. And so then, you know, I know this is a little bit all over the place, but this is kind of just how it came, yeah. came together. Yeah. And so then I'm trying to think. So I started doing, I, I was listening to podcasts a lot on my walks and they, I liked to listen to a lot of mindful podcasts and, you know, Oprah's show and those kind of shows that were just really inspiring. And I loved what these people had to say, they really opened my mind. And so I started just thinking to myself, you know, I haven't spoken about my story in so long to anybody. Nobody's asked me. I've just been doing the day-to-day thing. And so I started literally like, this sounds so funny now, but like I had so many thoughts in my head that I didn't want to write them out in a journal. So I would hit voice notes Mm. and I would record my thoughts to myself on my walk. I would just talk to myself basically. And I realized like, Hey, you know, like I'd listen to some of them back and I'm like, I actually have a lot to say. Like I thought that I didn't have a lot to say because, you know, my industry had made me kind of believe that I didn't have a voice, you know, because I was just another face. I was just another um, person going out for the role or the shoot or the job. I didn't have a story. My story in my, I created this for myself, didn't matter to people at that time. But I thought, you know what? I actually have a lot to say. And these podcasts are so inspiring and have changed my life. I, I just want to share. I just want to share my thoughts. And so it started kind of as a blog, artofwellnesssociety.com. And then I finally got up the gumption to start the podcast and start just talking about my journey and specific things that I, that I thought about and how all, all going back to you're the only one living your life and you're the only one seeing through your eyes. And you're the only one who at the end of your life is going to look back on your life. And you're the only one who's experienced it. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole premise of curating your life, like a work of art. So then I kind of made my 21 day guide to open your imagination, basically where I took the photos I took in the time where I was kind of opening my imagination and used to the practices and thoughts and put them into a book. So I put that out there and then I started the podcast and that's kind of where it's all began really. Yeah. I love that you were on that sort of journey, um, yourself. And you were like, wait, I actually have so much 
to say about this because for so long you've just been kind of doing everything alone and doing everything in like to yourself right um, and so and I was the one who didn't know like right, right like in my head like I don't know I gotta look elsewhere like I gotta look to other people for the answers you're like all no the time. you've been living it like I, you've been right. doing this so why right. not share with other people so I'm so glad that you found you came to that point and mm-hmm. had that moment of like a realization where you were like, wait, I actually have so much to say about this. I've just lived so many different lives through the last couple of years and dealing with everything. Why right. not get on a mic, have a platform, be able to help other people? Because at the end of the day, like podcasts, and you've said this too, podcasts have been helping people for so long, mm-hmm. especially nowadays. It's like everybody has... They're like three to four podcasts that they learn from, they're inspired Mm -hmm. from, they go to every day. And it's so nice to be able to just like hit play and be able to sit there and feel like you're learning something or you feel like a part of a community. And there's someone out there that's gone through things just like you, like even if you had the wildest experiences, you're never alone. Like, especially in my in my darker times regarding like the disordered eating and the over-exercise, when I started listening to podcasts and hearing women my age speaking about this, who went through exactly the same thing, that's when I was like, oh, I'm okay. Exactly. Like they made it out of this. They're doing well. I can too, you know, and that's, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal to just be that light in the world, you know? Yeah. And I think that's amazing that you, were able to get there and you were able to say to yourself, like, I'm, I can do this and I can make this platform and help other people through it. And I think that's amazing because there are so many podcasts out there. And, um, I think that this is something different and I think that you're doing a great job. And I think Thank so you. many people are going to be able to benefit from it. Um, and so, yeah. So for people that are listening, where can they find you first of all, and then find the podcast, listen and learn from you. Cause you are so wise. Like we just talked for so long. I had so much fun. (laughs) I know. I love this. Every time I'm like looking at the clock, I'm like, how has it already like been this long? Like this (laughs) feels like we're hanging out and it went by so fast. It really, really did. It really did. Um, yeah. So where can people find you? So I have artofwellnesssociety.com. That's my website where you can look at my blog. I have kind of some of my health coaching services on there and programs. Um, But most recently, so on my Instagram, I had it under one account, but I literally just changed it last week. So you can find me, my personal Instagram at Kara Reitz, C-A-R-A-R-U-E-T-Z. That's where I post just kind of whatever I want. That's like my photography, my, you know, modeling work, stuff like that, just creative stuff. And then I have AOWS Studio, which is more all based in my graphic design work in photography and creativity that has to do with visual arts. And then I have AOWS Health at AOWS Health, which is health related, all wellness related, all recipes, that one's getting going with that one. So I kind of re restructured everything mm-hmm. um, because I love both things so much. So whatever you prefer. And oh, one more thing I wanted to mention was um, the book. It's the yes. 
Art of Wellness uh, Society 21 Day Inspiration Generator. And you can purchase that. It's a PDF and it's a fillable PDF too. You can get that just on the website too. So you can probably, I'll give you the link. So I will tag everything in the show notes. So it's easy for people to just find you on it. Um, but that's amazing. I had so much fun talking with you today. Me too. Me so much for coming on and sharing your story. I think so many people can learn from your experiences and I think it's going to help so many people that have I hope so. Oh my gosh. I wish we could just talk for the rest of the day. Like I, I know, to, like hang up. Um, I know me either. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank it was so great. You, Elena. You from you. This has been so fun. This has been so much fun. It's so great. Um, I'm so honored to be on your podcast and I'm excited for everyone to listen. I am so excited. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, well be sure to follow care on everything. Like I said, a million times I'll list everything below so you can find it easily. Um, and yeah, thank you guys so much for listening today. Bye. Bye. <laughs> hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Girl We Gotta Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. That way you never miss a new episode. You can also follow Girl We Gotta Talk on Instagram at Girl We Gotta Talk Podcast and on Twitter at GWGT Podcast for live tweeting and all your favorite pop culture updates. If you want to watch full episodes, check out Girl We Gotta Talk on YouTube and find all of your favorite episodes over there. If you like today's episode, head over to Apple Podcasts, hit the five stars or leave a review and let me know what you thought. I seriously love hearing your feedback. It really means the world to me. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.